Hey everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here and welcome to another Masters Podcast with this incredible guy. And I just have to say straight up at the very top of this, Dre Baldwin, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You, you had no idea who I was and I just reached out to you through social media. You immediately responded. In fact, I think I read some somewhere that you respond to everything on social media, millions of DMs and, and emails, and yet you respond to everything. Is that true? Is that accurate? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Win. And you did your research. Yes, I do respond to damn near everything that I get. I mean, if it's spam, I don't respond to that. But for the most part, between me and my team, we do respond to any you know, real live person who asks a question or has a comment. We do respond. I like that. Again, right from the very top, I like that philosophy because yeah, in the very beginning, you put it out there and, and maybe you get two or three people who respond and they have a question and they want to connect with you and it's easy to respond to them. But that's what made you successful. So for you to stop that practice, just because now there's hundreds, if not millions of people following you to stop that practice certainly wouldn't be uh, a wise decision. So congratulations on that. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And at, at the same time, you know, we went from having you know, 14 year old basketball players asking how to make a layup back in the day to now we got people like yourself, business people reaching out to us. So we also have increased the quality of the people who are reaching out. So that matters as well. Well, this was this was profound for me because, first of all, I was introduced to you and I'll thank her right now. Our, our, our good friend, Patrice Washington, a woman that I absolutely admire and and just so you know i'm really good at stalking people dre and that's exactly what i did with <laughs> patrice i stalked her until until she responded and we became good friends and and i reached out to her gosh on so many different occasions for so many different reasons and she was just thrilled with the relationship the messaging that she received from you through her podcast and so of course I, I do what people tell me to do. I'm a good student. And uh, and she said, when you need to connect with Dre. So thanks again for doing this. Oh, yes. Thank you. And thanks to Patrice. I didn't know she's the one who told you, but uh, yeah, I appreciate that. I haven't even told people about who you are. So let me I'm going to read this. So Dre Baldwin is CEO and founder of Work On Your Game, Inc. He has given four TED Talks and has authored 33 books. And we're going to talk about those books. I I went through that list and quite a few of those titles jumped out at me. And I want to talk about that. Dre's content has been viewed over, get this, 73 million times. His daily work on your game podcast, you're putting the rest of us to shame. You're putting out daily podcasts, uh, has over 2,300 episodes and over 5 million listeners. Dre had a nine-year professional basketball career playing in eight countries. Dre's framework is the roadmap in reverse for professional mindset. And we're going to learn what that means. The roadmap in reverse for professional mindset, strategy, accountability, and execution. So we're going to jump into this. Can I first just say, though, yeah, you have a little boy, right? Yes, three months. So I love I love that <laughs> that Instagram video that you did claiming that he is up for the 2040 NBA draft. Is that true? That is true. Yes. A lot of people like that video. <laughs> that was great. That, that was awesome. I like that you you mix that personal family time in with your business messaging. And uh, it made you more real. It made you more approachable. And and I, I look for things like that. So thanks for that, too. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for uh, noticing it. So 33 books, how do you author 
33 books. And I was reading some of the titles of your books. One is uh, Work on Your Game, The Mirror of Motivation, The Super You, The Mental Handbook, 55 Daily People Skills. And you have a, a brand new book called Third Day Book. Mm-hmm. What, what do you mean by that, that title of Third Day well, the third day, in essence, it comes from my background in sports. And it came from actually around 2014. A lot of basketball players was just asking me, Dre, why would you make your – because I used to make – my content online was all basketball from 2005 to about 2015. So the basketball players would ask me, Dre, why is the gym that you train in always empty? Why are you the only person in the gym? They thought maybe do I own a gym? Do you rent out the gym so nobody else can use it? Are you coming at some obscure time where nobody else knows about? So that's how you get the gym to yourself. And I explained to them that it was none of those. It was just the fact that on the first day when people have access to, let's say, something like a gym where the only thing you can do is work, that everybody shows up because everybody's excited. It's a brand new thing. It's like getting a brand new car. It smells brand new. The second day, there are a little bit fewer people there, but still a nice little crowd. And by the third day already... People stop showing up. People come a little bit later. People leave a little bit earlier. The energy is not there anymore. And that metaphor doesn't necessarily have to take three days. But the metaphor of the third day is that in any situation in life, doesn't matter what it is, a business, a job, uh, a podcast, going to the gym, there always comes a point when you realize that this thing that you signed up for is not all fun and games. It's not going to be one big party. There's some actual work that has to take place. And when you hit that moment, that is the third day. For some people, it happens literally on the third day. Some people it happens on the first day. Some people it happens 10 weeks in. Some people it happens five years in. But we all hit that point in everything that we do. And that third day is not really about the occurrence. It's about the decision that you make in that moment. Do you continue to show up and give your best effort as a professional? Because that's what professionals do, show up and deliver every time. Or do you decide to you know, not show up as much, you know, not give as much effort, maybe you know, decide to quit that thing because it's not as fun as you thought it was going to be? So that's what the third day is about. It's not just the occurrence, but it's also the decision that you make in that moment when you realize that this thing that you got into is actual work. That's the third day. Wow. You talk about what you call the, the, the four pillars, and I have a lot of questions revolving around that, the four pillars of discipline, confidence, mental toughness personal initiative. I'm giving our, our listeners a, a preview here. And uh, Dre, I want you to know I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in the listening audience that I have. It's not just one demographic. It's every age. It's worldwide. It's people who are brand new in their careers. It's people who are veterans in their careers. So they've been doing this for a long time, but they're still seeking that knowledge and that wisdom and the mentoring and that uplift. And I know a lot of people are laughing right now thinking, oh my gosh, Wynn's interviewing a sports guy. So he's going to make some sports analogy here. So I know some people are already chuckling at me. Um, I I worked uh, quite a bit with uh, Magic Johnson and my favorite moment is him making fun of me and using my bald head as a basketball. So, uh, and and by the way, Dre has the same haircut. So we uh, we looked the part too. (laughs) So talk to us. There was one thing that, that I read about you that I want to ask you about, because a lot of people are thinking, well, I need more information to be able to be successful. I, I, I need to study more. I need to have more classes. I need more mentors. I need more books. But you talk about this thing that you call 10% information, and you give a great analogy about that. Can you share that with us? 
Sure. Called the 10% rule of information and action. And it's that you only need 10% of the information to begin taking action. Now, it doesn't mean that with 10% of information, you can achieve the entire you know, outcome, get everything done. But what people need to understand is that, first of all, there's no way for you to know everything, quote unquote, everything before you get started, because there's information that you don't even know that you don't know that you're going to need once you get started. You can probably attest to this when if you look at you know, any business that you've run over the years, there were some things that you didn't even know that you needed to know that you didn't find out until you began doing the thing. It's not that you had all the information from the beginning. And it's the same thing whether you're playing a sport, you're running a business, uh, you get into a relationship, anything you do, there's some things you're going to find out once you begin that you didn't even know you didn't know from the start. So that's one thing. Second thing is there's some information that doesn't even exist yet that is going to exist a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, while you're on the path. So if you're sitting around waiting to know everything, that it actually becomes impossible because there are things that don't even exist yet that you're going to need to know along that path. And third is the analogy I, I use to make it really simple for anyone is if you're driving from Miami to I mean, you could be driving from Miami to Jacksonville, let alone Miami to California, where you're at, when is that you don't need to see the entire road. You don't need to see everything. You could just need a mile or two of visibility. You actually don't even need that much. It could be foggy or rainy or snowy outside. As long as you can see a little bit in front of you, you can keep driving the car when you get to that a little bit in front of you, you can see a little bit more. Then you can see a little bit more. Then you can see a little bit more and you just keep going. You start with what you have and you figure things out along the way. You will learn along the way. Your plan need not be perfect to get started, but it, because you can modify your plan along the way. Nobody starts out with a perfect plan. There's no such thing as a perfect plan, at least one that hasn't been acted on yet. Now, it can be perfect when you're done because you look back and say, okay, this is exactly how to do this. Now we call that codification. Now you can take that and make a, a course or a book or a training out of it. But nobody has a perfect plan from the very beginning. That never happens. It's never happened in life. It never will happen. So just get started with the 10% that you have. You get to jump on everybody else. You get that first mover's advantage and you figure things out along the way that everybody else is sitting at the starting line waiting to figure out before they begin. We've had this philosophy in, in my company for years called ready, fire, aim. And a lot of right. people, they do ready, aim, fire. So they're ready, aim, 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 and they never fire. They never take action. They never make a move. Because like you say, they're waiting for more information. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I think maybe you found this to be true as well. Uh, not having all the information, I think, has served me in the past because I blew past all of the so-called red flags. And people say, when you that's not going to work because you're 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 not informed with this red flag here. And I didn't know what those red flags were. I just breezed right past them, blasted right past them. I didn't know what the warning signs were because I didn't have all the information. And so what they thought was a warning sign, maybe you, you shouldn't move beyond this win. I blew right past it. Absolutely. And it's it's kind of like what they say about in golf. Uh, do you golf win? Ever golfed? I'm not old enough yet. Okay. <laughs> I don't golf either. But one thing that <laughs> I, I read about golfers is that the older golfer uh, tends to make more mistakes simply because the older golfer knows what can go wrong if they try a certain shot, whereas the younger golfer who doesn't have the experience of making those mistakes doesn't mess up as often simply because they're so ignorant to what could possibly go wrong. And that actually that analogy could apply to all areas of life is exactly what you just said. There are certain things you didn't even know you didn't know, things that you were supposed to be afraid of that you weren't because you didn't know. But had you known about them, you might have hesitated.
See, you worded it better than I did. That's why you're on his podcast today. So thank you. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So I want to ask you about the word hustle. And the reason why is because you do that. You 33 books, uh, you do a daily podcast. Can I just pivot into that? How do you do a daily podcast? Um, well, turn the mic on and start talking. Oh my <laughs> That's gosh. The, the short answer. <laughs> but preparing ahead of time, preparing ahead of time really is one of my one of the uh, key principles that around here is uh, preparation. We don't do anything just uh, flying by the seat of our pants. Actually, sometimes we do, but most of the time it's uh, we are prepared ahead of time for what we're going to do. That's how it can be consistent. You can't do anything consistently over an extended period of time without preparation. So I would say that you're very, very good at hustling. And a lot of people think that that's a bad word, that the word hustle, the, the meaning of that means that you're out to get people, that you'll you'll screw people over to get what you want, that that you shouldn't have that kind of a drive. Can you talk about hustle and, and what that means to you? Sure. What hustle means to me is just using the energy that you have is I talk about when there are five forms of investment, time, money, attention, energy, and focus. And you have to put oh, all of oh, these oh, back at time, money. I'm, I'm taking notes here. Time, money, attention, attention, energy, and focus. Okay. And to achieve in any area of life, you have to put in all five. So anyone listening to this, you think about anything in which you are successful or have been successful. You put all five of those into that thing. So hustle is really the energy part. And there's also attention. There's also focus. So and it's also time. So it's kind of all of them. So what hustle is about is really just using your energy on a day-to-day -day basis because energy is 85% of the job in life. If you have two entities who are equal in resources and ability and knowledge, whoever has the highest energy is usually going to win. They're usually going to be the one who comes out on top. So what hustle is it's about uh, utilizing as much of your energy as possible because when you go to sleep at night, uh, you get that energy restored back to you. So there's no a lot of people talk about saving energy, at least when it comes to the physical, the human, uh, you don't need to save energy. Uh, and when you're trying to save energy by doing less, you actually feel like doing less because that's the law of inertia. Whatever you're doing, you tend to do more of it. So you're sitting around doing nothing. You feel like sitting around doing more of that nothing. But when you're active and you know, going out and hustling, then you feel like hustling more because it's easier to keep going than it is to stop. And that's a, a scientific law there. That's not a theory. It's a scientific law that when we're moving, we want to keep moving. When we're doing nothing, we want to keep doing nothing. So it takes a lot more energy to change it than it does to maintain wherever we're at. I have a feeling that a lot of the messaging that you have, first of all, because you come from the sports world, and so you have that real life experience as well as the, the uh, analogies and the things that you're sharing with us right now about energy and about focus and that a lot of this really does boil down to being physically fit. And I see some of the videos and the messaging that you put out is, is you in the gym and it's, and it's that commitment as well. Do you feel like it's possible to be successful in business, uh, money, personal relationships, parenting without the physical commitments and, and well-being? Hmm, that's a that's a good question. I've never been out of shape, so I don't know if I don't know from personal experience. But at the same time, I have seen people who don't appear to be that uh, physically fit, but it looks like their business is doing what they want their business to do. Now, at the same time, when disclaimer, it depends on how you define the word successful. 
So different people can come up with their own definition of what success means, because it means the pursuit of a worthy ideal or a worthy goal. But worthy is a relative term. So it depends on who's talking. As far as I'm concerned, I, being in great physical shape is one of my personal principles. So it's a is on my never list to be out of shape. I will never be out of shape. I don't care what happens. That's just a personal principle of mine. But that's what I can say about that. I can't really speak for someone else who's not in shape. But let's say they're making a ton of money and they're happy and their kids are doing good. Maybe they're okay with that. I think it also sends out a message. I mean, who is your customer and and who's watching you? And I think about that a lot. Like whether you realize this or not, people are watching you. I remember, gosh, going back maybe uh, 20 years where we were having a, a company meeting, a company training and so there's a room of 200 owners and leaders and directors, and then we would take a break. So coming back from the break, okay, where is everybody? Why isn't everybody in the room? And I, I go out and I look and 30% of them are out in the, in the parking lot smoking. I'm like, this is just not the right message. And, and by the way, who's watching us right now? Here were the leaders of this organization and this company, and yet the commitment that we had to our personal well-being was just way, way off track. And and that was a huge, big wake-up call for us. What what do we need to do here to, to really have the commitment and to have the credibility with what it is that we're trying to sell? It's a great question. It's a great uh, question to ask. What company were you running at the time and what did you sell? In the beauty industry. <laughs> so okay, here we are yeah, in beauty sense. and wellness. <laughs> but but, but is, is there another industry where where, oh, that's not important. Your your health and your, your well-being is not a factor and is not important. Is there an industry that exists like that? Hmm. I wouldn't say where it is not a factor. I would say where it doesn't play directly. Like, let's say somebody's in finance. I mean, it, your finances have, I don't think, a direct effect on whether or not your ability to sell financial products to another person is not directly affected by whether you're in shape or not. That's what I would say. Right. But maybe the the ability to continue with that success, to have that right. momentum and that drive and that hustle absolutely requires the fitness side of it. Agreed. You know, let me let me ask you this, because you just said that you will never not be in shape. You will never not have that uh, commitment to your, your physical well-being and, and wellness. You take some slack for that. Like, do do, do people kind of get angry at you for like, okay, Dre, I, I hear you just, you know, get off my back about that. Does that happen to you? No, because I don't tell anybody else to do it. <laughs> I just tell people that I'm going to do it. So I wake up every day and I'm, I work out every single day. I'm doing something every day. I know exactly what I'm going to do every day for the rest of the week. And I know where I'm doing it, when I'm doing it, how long it's going to take my recovery process. I know exactly what I'm going to do. So I, do my best to, I guess you can call it setting an example if other people are noticing it, but I don't tell other people that they need to do it. But people do need to understand. I've talked about this on my platforms, of course, with all the content that I made. If you're not in good physical shape, then it doesn't matter how much you know, money you're making, how many followers you have, how many products you're selling, because at some point you won't be able to enjoy it when your body fails. Because right? we can replace cars, we can replace clothes, we can replace computers and businesses, but you can't replace your body. So that's something that I do take time and talk about, but it's not something that I talk about every day. Got it. Okay. I want to get into these, uh, the four pillars that you talk about, discipline, 
confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. And I, I put some thought into your four pillars. And the reason why is because if you asked Patrice Washington to share with you her pillars, they're different. And I guess every teacher, every mentor would have their pillars of what they say are the absolute things that you need to focus on to have the kind of success that you want out of life. So how'd you come up with these four pillars? And if you could explain each of those to us, that would be awesome. It's a great question how I came up with them. So I've been talking about these things for years. So, so going back in the story, well, we didn't really go to the story. We, we jumped in. But um, when I was putting out basketball content for years, I first started out putting out material on YouTube, just showing basketball players how to practice basketball. So this is literally me on the court doing drills and dribbling and shooting and dunking and stuff like that. And the players, when they found out about my background, and my background is I played Division three college basketball, which is not the level that produces the pros, and I only played one year of high school basketball, that the players started asking me about the mindset behind me becoming who I became because a lot of those players could relate to my story. So they might like LeBron James, but they can't relate to LeBron because he was a superstar since he was a kid, but they can relate to me. So they would ask me, well, what was the mindset behind? Why'd you keep trying? Why'd you keep practicing? How'd you find a way to believe in yourself? Or if nobody else thought you were going to make it, why'd you think you could you could make it? So that's when I started, I started doing these videos on YouTube when called the weekly motivation. And I would put this video, this is a little selfie video I would do every Monday, maybe a two to five minute selfie video. And this is before we had video cameras on our phone. So I actually had a camera and a phone. So I'm making these little selfie videos every Monday for about 400 Mondays in a row. And the weekly motivation became basically the foundation of the philosophy that I teach to this very day, because I just started talking about mindset principles that were already in me. These are things that this is just the way that I already thought naturally, just from the the way that I think, the way I was brought up, you know, the things I've done in sports, you know, the books that I read. It was just my natural way of thinking. So I would naturally talk about stuff like discipline because people saw Yo, this guy puts a video on YouTube every single day. And many times I was putting out two, three, four videos a day on YouTube. So these people are like, who is this guy? Why are you doing this? Now, how'd you get the, the mindset to actually do this every day? And then they could just tell by the way that I talk, like this guy's a confident individual. Right, where'd you get that confidence from? Or they would say, okay, you faced all these setbacks. You played one year of high school basketball. Most people, they don't make it the first three years. They don't try out the fourth year. So why'd you even try? Then you walked on to play in college at a division three school. For those who don't understand the reference, if you watch March Madness on TV, the NCAA tournament, that's division one. Division two is a level that most of you never seen. And division three is below them down in the basement. I played division three. They don't produce pro players. So when people found out I played D3, all right, why even try that? How do you have the mindset to keep thinking you could make it despite this very, very humble resume that you had? And then how do you put all this stuff together and actually start doing stuff? So the answers to those questions became discipline of showing up every day to do the work, confidence to put yourself out there boldly and authentically, mental toughness to keep showing up, doing the work, putting yourself out there, even when the success you've expected to achieve has yet to occur, and personal initiative to be a go-getter who goes in makes things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So all of that stuff was just naturally coming out of me. And then when I got out of basketball and was getting into the, I guess we can call this the thought leadership world, I just need to figure out how do I take all the stuff that I've been talking about and put it into a framework that someone who's never picked up a basketball can understand. So I was able to kind of distill it down into those four pillars of discipline, confidence, mental toughness, 
personal initiative. And the great thing about it, when is that even if I had never played basketball, those principles apply to anyone. Like they apply to in the business world the same way they apply in the sports world. So that's where it came from. And I've just sharpened it and polished it over the years. Okay. So I have lots of questions on this. First of all, discipline, that's like a nasty word to people. Right. <laughs> How do you talk them through that? Well, discipline, the challenge for people with discipline, and the reason it's a nasty word for people is because a lot of people hear discipline and they think that means they picture like a, a drill sergeant in the armed forces uh, screaming at you and telling you what you have to do and you know somebody blowing an air horn while you're sleeping and waking you up and making you go do something in five minutes that usually take 15 for that's not really what discipline is about. Every discipline challenge I tell people when is a structural challenge. So anyone who feels like they are challenged with being disciplined is not that you need to beat yourself up and become a drill sergeant to be more disciplined. What you need to do is you need to structure your situation, whether it's your life, your workouts, your business, your whatever, such that the discipline is actually easier to do. That's what my book, The Third Day, is about. How do you structure things to make the discipline part easy? So the reason why many people think discipline or they look at discipline as a nasty word simply because they've been taught wrong about how discipline works and how to actually uh, implement it in their own lives. Okay, I want some personal stories on this because when you talk, first of all, I love the structure. Mm -hmm. Do you go to the gym basically the same time each day or is it just whenever you can fit it in? No, it's never whenever I fit it in. I, f I fit it in into the structure of my day. So I don't go to the gym every day. So, for example, today I ran outside. So I run three times a week. I go to the gym three or four times a week. And maybe some days I'll just take a really long walk. But it's structured. It's on the schedule. It's actually literally on my calendar, just like this interview is on my calendar. Okay. So just out of curiosity, what time do you go to the gym? Uh, between four and five in the morning. So before your family's awake, probably. Absolutely. Yeah, nobody's awake. I mean, me and the rats and the foxes. Yeah, I so love I that. See outside. Actually, yeah. uh, I, I, a good mentor of mine, Shalene Johnson, who's really huge in the fitness world and, and applies all of those principles to success in business and her relationship, her long-term marriage and everything. She said that, you know, nobody needs me at four in the morning. Everybody needs me at four in the afternoon. Right. Yes, I get mine in very early. I think for a minute, I had the philosophy of uh, I'll go to the gym whenever I'm in the mood, which meant I never went. Exactly, because you're never in the mood. And the thing is, is that's not sustainable. Moods are not sustainable. You can't depend on a mood, but you can depend on a schedule. So I, I like this structure thing, and I, I want to get into that more, get more information from you, because tell me if this has ever happened to you. So. So you're on a, on a stage and you're speaking and you're talking about your four pillars and you're, you're sharing all of your information. Um, you're talking about discipline and confidence and showing up and, and, and all of it. And you could be on that stage for a couple of hours sharing the best of the best information uh, with your audience. And then afterwards, somebody comes up and they pull you aside and says, something to you like, um, gosh, uh, do you have any ideas on how I could be happier and more successful? Does that ever happen to you? And you're thinking, wait a minute, I just spent two hours talking about this. My point is, I think that sometimes people think that you're withholding some information. Yeah, he shared some great information, but Dre's withholding from me. There, there's a secret that he's not sharing with me. Does that happen to you? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily with uh, somebody asking that specific question, but I think a lot of people 
get to that because especially in the world that we're in now when is that a lot of people have become what I call pigs P I G stands for professional information gatherers <laughs> and that they're always just gathering more information. And because they are always gathering information, they're always thinking, well, I just need to get a little bit more information and then I can get started. It's just like we talked about that 10% rule. I get more information, then I can be successful. I get more information, then I'll go do the thing that I've been talking about doing for the last five years. But it's not information that people need because if all anybody needed to be successful was information, then everybody would be successful because Google has pretty much indexed 99% of the information available in the world and everybody has access to Google. So clearly information is not the differentiating factor in success. Okay, so in this structure process, what area do you struggle with? I don't think it's the gym. I don't think it's uh, being physically fit. What area do you struggle in, in in creating that that discipline and that structure? I don't have a struggle as far as the discipline itself. The biggest struggles usually come in any areas that involve other people. So when you got other people involved with who you can't predict, that's where the it's not even necessarily a struggle. It's just a challenge of you always have to adapt and make adjustments. So I would say specifically, that would be something like in business when you're just trying to figure out your sales process or you have a new product or a new something that you're launching or you're getting it out there and you're trying to figure out, all right, what's the right combination here to attract the right prospect or to get the right people in this program or to get you know, the right people to buy this course or whatever it's going to be. And just figuring out what's going to get the right people to respond to this in the right way so that you can get the right outcome. So for me, as far as the structure, that's never been a challenge. It's just a matter of the more variables you bring into a situation, the more challenging is going to be naturally. So, and the, the biggest variable you can enter into a situation is a human being because you can't control them. <laughs> okay. Well, then people are going to have lots of questions revolving around that one because none of us do yeah. this on our own. You know, I mean, to grow in business, of course, when I was first in business that many years ago, I was the janitor. I was the receptionist. I was right. the accountant. I watered the plants. I cleaned the bathrooms. I did everything. Now I don't really do any of those things anymore. So you have to have people surrounded to be able to be more successful. So that's the variable. That's the unknown, the people factor, especially nowadays. Uh, because of everything that we've been through in the last couple of years, there's that mass exodus. People are quitting their jobs without even knowing what their fallback plan is. They don't even know what their, their next job is, but they just don't want to right. continue in the job that they had before. And so the people factor is a big one. So what advice do you have for those listening to that part of it? So if we're talking about internally, that's a little bit easier because those people have a vested interest in doing what you ask them to do. So if we're talking about your team and your staff. They have a vested interest in following you as long as you got something to follow then they're a little bit easier to, I don't even want to say control, but to predict and know what you're going to get out of them because they know what they're going to get out of you. I'm talking specifically about when you're selling, your, your prospects have no vested interest in pleasing you. So th those are the people who are, you got to figure out. Like when you're launching a new business or a new product or you open a new location in a new neighborhood, you got to figure out what they want because that's the only way you're going to get them to respond. But when it comes to your team, that's a matter of you making sure you have everything uh, documented, outlined, you know exactly what you want people to do, how you want them to do it, why you want them to do it. And it also comes down to especially people who are the if you're the head person, the leader is your ability to articulate. Can you articulate and communicate a clear vision of what you want, why you want it and then how you want it? And, and this is something that I always emphasize to any entrepreneur I work with. 
you don't just tell people who work for you what you want them to do. You tell them why you want them to do it because they might know something that you don't know. They might be able to make your process a lot better and smoother and more efficient if you explain the why behind the what. So it really comes down to communication skills. Okay, because you just talked about that, the why and the value, the importance of that. I've heard you talk about what you call anchors and that anchors become your why. Am I, am I on the right track with that one? Yeah, that's in the third day. Okay, can you talk about that? Because that jumped out at me. Sure. So many people, as I, I mentioned earlier, when people talk about discipline, they incorrectly believe that to be more disciplined, they need to get more motivated. But motivation is for amateurs. Uh, the reason motivation is for amateurs is because you can't depend on motivation. It can come and go. Some days you can be super motivated, some days not. And a professional is expecting to get paid. The dictionary definition of professional is a person who does something as their main paid occupation. You want to get paid consistently, you got to perform consistently. And if you're going to perform, you can't depend on something that is not consistent, such as motivation. So you need something that's stronger than that. So the anchor that I tell people they need to be disciplined is what is something that you care about enough or you want enough, strongly enough, that you are willing to be disciplined in order to achieve it? That's the anchor. So what is that anchor for you? And everybody needs that anchor because there are going to be days when I don't care you know, what motivation has worked in the past. There are going to be some days where none of your motivational tactics are working, but you still have to show up and do your job. So what are you going to do on that day? And that's where the anchor comes in. And many people who don't have the anchor, what happens is they go on this roller coaster of performance because you don't have an anchor on those days when you don't feel like it. So that's why the anchor matters so much. What do you care about enough? That you're willing to go through the discipline stuff that you know is not going to be easy, but you care about the outcome enough that you're, you'll go through it anyway. So what are your personal anchors? Obviously, being a dad. Yeah, definitely. That's one of them. What are some of your personal anchors? Another anchor for me is just the performance. I mean, I tell people all the time, we're in a performance and a results-based business. And I'm a competitor by nature. So even if I'm not competing against a person, I can compete against myself. I can make up a competition in my mind. So I was running today at four o'clock in the morning. There's not a lot of people out there. There's a couple of runners out there in Miami, but I'm not really competing against any individual person, but I'm competing against, I know what time I ran the last 10K I got into. How do I beat that time? How do I get myself back in game shape if I've taken some time off? So the competition is is one thing for me. Uh, staying at a high level of performance is another thing. Uh, speaking of being a, a father, you know, I know a lot of men who are, fathers and they all would use the excuse you know before i had a kid they would all say well you know I'm, i got a little bit of a belly i'm not in shape anymore because i got kids and they would say well dre you don't have kids so you don't understand so they would all use this as an excuse and people i went to school with uh well the reason i don't get back in touch with you and i don't stay in contact as often as i used to is i have kids and you don't have kids you don't understand so then when i had a kid i said to all of them okay now y'all don't have an excuse anymore i got kids now so let's just see <laughs> if i get i had the same excuse that you all had if i get out of shape or i stay lose touch with my friends is it, can I use my kid as an excuse? So it's sometimes it's just looking at what most people do and figuring out, all right, can I disprove this? Can I go against the grain a little bit? As one of the reasons why I became an entrepreneur. I'm a natural, I'm naturally one who goes against the grain. Wow. So I'm curious to know, when, especially relating back to the discipline and the structure that you have, you only played one year in high school basketball. So, so who were your mentors back then to help you develop these four pillars that you talk about? 
who were some of the people that got you on track with this information? Was it a, a your coach, your your parents? Oh, well, it definitely wasn't the coach, but I do give credit to my parents. Wait, now, why do you say that it was definitely not a coach? Why do you why do you say it like that? It wasn't the coach because I was not like a a blue chip athlete, right? And I wasn't the kind of athlete even through college. Nobody was like, "Hey, this guy's going to be a pro and become a known athlete." So when you are that player coaches take you under their wing and they give you extra time and all of that stuff because they see the potential in what you might turn into. But I never showed that kind of potential. So I had coaches and I took things from those coaches, some good stuff, some not so good stuff. It's not like any coach tried to you know, suppress my career. I wouldn't say that. But at the same time, there was no coach who was like, hey, I'm going to make sure you become a pro or anything like that. So that's why I say it wasn't the coach. And as far as uh, who were the mentors, I have to give credit to my parents, which I, I do when people ask, even though my parents were not athletes, you know, I'm, I'm six feet, four inches tall. My dad's like five, eight, my mom's five, seven. They're not athletes. They didn't play <laughs> any sports, but, but at home, I did get, you know, what we call home training. So I was taught, you know, do your chores, you know, do your homework, be respectful, all of those things. And you no, know, all of those elements that I learned at home, for things like, you know, doing your chores, being respectful of, of adults, you know, doing your homework, that kind of stuff, clean your room. I took those disciplines with me to the basketball court when I started to play sports. And even though nobody taught me how to play basketball, I just took the discipline of, OK, let me just keep showing up here and just try stuff and see what I can figure out. Combined with my you no know, blossoming talent, because I was kind of a late bloomer in sports, then it ended up turning into something. So even though my parents were not athletes, you know, when people ask me, you know, who would you give credit to? I always had to start with them. Then as far as uh, outside of that, I, I like somebody like, you know, of course, Michael Jordan, not necessarily trying to play like him, but just his mentality, just the mentality of uh, I'm going to go out there and compete. And his thing, you could say Michael Jordan's anchor was all about winning. That was his main thing. Hey, whatever it takes to win, that's what I'm going to do. That was his mindset. And a lot of people admire Michael Jordan, not because they want to play basketball like him. They might not even be basketball players, but the mindset behind it. So I'm sure you saw a couple of years ago the, the documentary they had on ESPN about Michael Jordan. And everybody loved that documentary, not because they want to go score 40 points in a basketball game, but because the mindset about having one clear anchor and everything in your life being dedicated to that anchor. So I'll look at him in sports, but as far as athletes, there was no other athlete that I would say as far as mindset that I took anything from. Everyone else was really people from the hip hop industry, believe it or not, because my father is a musician and he was playing music to you know, my sister and I. My sister's just a year older than me, but he was into music from the time we were born. So that stuff is like in my veins to this very day, even though I never did anything musically myself. But you know, the hip hop artists that I listen to, not the necessarily the words of what they said, but the fact that they were entrepreneurs. They took their situation and turned it into entrepreneurial ventures. And I looked up to them as far as business, even more than I did the athletes, simply because as an athlete, you don't really have to be a business person. And you get into the business world simply because of your athletic gifts. You hit the genetic lottery to become an athlete. Now, had I been the same height as my father, I wouldn't have been a pro athlete. I, I know that to be true. But as an and in the hip hop world, you have to actually have some business acumen to make things work. In the sports world, you don't. You hit that genetic lottery. You can run, jump. You can make yourself a lot of money just by your physical gifts. You don't have to be smart at all. So the uh, intelligence part that comes with it, because I knew coming from the background that I come from when 
there was no guarantee I would have played even one year of professional sports. So I had to have something other than just my athletic ability. Wow. You know, that second pillar that you talk about confidence, I've heard you say that you sometimes have to borrow confidence from someone else. What do you mean by that? And I, I like that, by the way, because again, we have a lot of young, brand new professionals listening to this, people who are brand new or they're still in school. So they haven't even really launched a career yet. Borrow right. confidence from someone else. Yeah, I'll give you an example. So there's a story. I talked about this in one of my TED Talks. Uh, this guy was a high school uh, basketball player. And he was maybe a, a sophomore on the team. So he's probably better than me. And this particular day, but he was a, a mediocre player. So he's maybe the 10th best player on a roster of 12 people. So in some games, he didn't even get in the game. But one day in practice, the coach walks in and says, today, we're going to try an experiment. And in today's experiment, I'm going to assign each one of you players to pretend to be one of your teammates all day in practice. So the coach is explaining to them, I'm going to go down the line. Each one of you, I'm going to tell you today, you're going to be him. You're going to be him. You're going to be him. So he's going down the line and telling each player who they're going to pretend to be all day in practice. The coach says, whatever that player does good, you do that thing today. So you can show them who they are. And whatever they do bad, whatever mistakes they're always making, you make those same mistakes because I want you all to show each other who you are as players so that none of you think it's me, the coach, who's just browbeating you all the time. Let your own teammates show you who you are. So this guy, he gets assigned to be his teammate, Mike. Now, Mike happened to be the best player on the team. So by luck of the draw, this 10th best player on the team gets assigned to be the best player on the team all day in practice. Now, here's my question to you, Wynn, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. But first, I'll ask you this question. How do you think he played that day in practice? 10th best player, is his assignment, according to his coach, is you got to be the best player. How do you think he performed? Better than, than any other time. That day... He performed better than he had in his entire life, according wow. to him, when he tells the story. He said he was making all kinds of shots that he never even tries. He's doing moves that he never did before. His teammates are looking at him slack jaw, like, where is this coming from? Because he had never done this before. He had never performed like that before. And at the end of the practice, the coach said to him, listen, man, if that's what it takes, you need to pretend to be Mike every day. Because he had performed at such a higher level that one day, he had tapped into – uh, the framework that I use to explain confidence is what I call the super you. And it's actually one of my book titles that you read off earlier. And the super you is you still being yourself. This is not faking it till you make it. This is you still being yourself, but is you at your highest possible level of confidence. And let me explain what that means. It is, yes, it is you know, getting rid of, most of the time when people talk about confidence, they talk about letting go of the fear and the insecurities and the second guessing themselves. Yes, it is all of that. But here's the most important part of the confidence when it comes to the super you, it is you giving yourself permission to no longer conform to being the person who you've always been. And that's exactly what uh, this kid did in practice that day, because these abilities, when the coach told him, you're going to be the best player in practice all day today. And the time that it took the coach to say that took about 10 seconds. He didn't all of a sudden get better at basketball, right? right? All right. Those abilities were already within him. It's just that he had not given himself permission to untether himself from the person he had always been. And it wasn't about what everybody else thought about him. It was about how he saw himself. When he changed his own self-image, at least for the course of that hour in practice, he was able to take the lid off and all of a sudden he was doing all these other things. But as soon as that practice ended and he told the rest of the story, the next day he went right back to being the mediocre player he had always been. Because wow. as an amateur, he didn't have a process or a structure to keep that lid off. Now, as a professional, 
Your job is to have a structure to keep that lid off if you want to keep getting paid at that level. Because he couldn't do that, he went right back to being mediocre again. And this is the same thing that many adults do every single day. They do this in their entire lives. And this is the tragedy, that they never take that lid off of themselves because they never give themselves permission to keep it off because they are conforming to what they think everybody else expects them to be. It's very interesting how you tie all of these together. I guess one is tied to the other. So when you talk about discipline and structure, that is tied to confidence, correct? That's right. Discipline creates confidence. You got it. I probably could do an entire hour with you just about the structure side of it, the discipline message that you have and exactly what that looks like. Do people often ask you about what your routine is? Okay, I hear you talking about all of this, Dre. Tell me exactly, lay out your day for me. Do people ask that of you? Yes, usually I tell them before they ask, but yes, they do. (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) Because I think people want to duplicate that. Okay, well, if Dre's up at four o'clock, then maybe I should be getting up at four o'clock. If if Dre is carving out this time, this is family time only, and he turns off his cell phone, well, then I guess that's what I need to be doing as well. I'm completely a product of my mentors. And I mean, and every day, it's not like I can coast through a day uh, without my mentors. I, I really am that way, that I, I rely on them a lot, which is why I started this podcast over, gosh, 22 years ago, because I was already asking these questions. I was already hunting people down and asking them the same types of questions that I'm asking you today. But then I decided to add a microphone so that everybody could hear what their answers were. That's right. I see it's cheating. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so you, you talk about what you call the 5149 rule. Share that with us. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. Uh, you call some good stuff here, Wendy. You did, you did a great job. I got a lot of materials. So a lot of people don't. People who are just hearing me for the first time don't know how much material I have, but you found some good stuff. Well, so, 33 uh, books, man. I I, I barely <laughs> could squeak out one book and you got 33. So, <laughs> so the 5149 rule is thus that if you want to help another person or another person wants your help, let's say somebody comes to you when and they want your help. The rule is that you will never own more than 49% of that outcome that that person wants. If they're the one who want, has the goal, they have to own at least 51% of it. In other words, a majority stake in their goal, they will always own it. And none of us should ever own more than 49% of the outcome of another person's desired uh, achievement. Even if they are paying you to coach them, even if you are their mentor, even if you are their parent, you cannot own more than 49% of that goal because you should not be willing to help another person any more than they are willing to help themselves. So that's what the 5149 rule is in a nutshell. Give us a, a good example. Apply that to everyday life. Sure. A good example is, let's say uh, my son, he's only three months, but let's say he decides he wants to be a basketball player. And he's like, all right, dad, can you help train me and you know, coach me and you know, get me a basketball, give me some new sneakers, take me to the court, show me how to dribble, shoot, dunk, pass, et cetera, et cetera. I will absolutely do all of those things. But I'm going to let him know from the beginning, as soon as he's old enough to understand, listen, I'm not going to be waking you up to go work out. You should be waking me up to go work out. Right, I'm not going to be coming to you and saying, hey, let's go to the gym and get some extra shots up. You need to be coming to me and interrupting me and say, dad, when are you done recording or when are you done writing or when are you done with your coaching calls? Because 
I want to go to the gym and I'd like you to rebound for me. You need to be coming to me. I shouldn't be coming to you. I shouldn't be calling you and saying, hey, uh, when are we going to take the next step in your, no, for anybody? I shouldn't be calling you saying, when are we going to do the next thing for your business? You should be calling me and saying, Dre, all right, I did the three things you told me to do. What's thing number four? What are right, I did number four? What's thing number five? I did number five. What's thing number six? If I got to call you, then that means you are not taking it as seriously as I am. And I'm not going to keep giving more to your goal, your dream that you are giving to yourself. That's not only good advice for people who are navigating through their own success. That's great advice for leaders and mentors and people who are coaching others to come along the way. 100%. So again, 33 books. How do you come up with so much content? And what's your goal? What's your your plan for continuing with with content and, and mentoring? Do you do one-on-one coaching and mentoring as well for people? All right. So several questions there. So how do I come up with so much content? Yeah. Welcome to my world. That's my how my brain works here. It's like I got a hundred questions happening at the same time. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how do I come up with so much content? I could say, well, on one level, it's the structure is that I, I kind of trained my brain to come up with this these content ideas. I mean, I create content the way that I think. So when I think of a subject, I the first thing I think about is where would this fit? Is it a short enough idea that I can put it into a, a text message that I send out to my text community? Or is it an eight or nine minute thought that I could put into a YouTube video? Or is it something that I want to expound upon and put it into a 20, 30 minute podcast episode? Because my podcast is solo. I don't interview people. It's just me talking. So do I just make it into a, a solo podcast episode or should it be an article maybe as well? Maybe it can become a book. So the third day started as a YouTube video that was 10 minutes long, and then it became a book. So sometimes it's multiples. So it's just the way that my brain thinks. And since I started creating content, I always say, or let me not just waste this idea on thinking it to myself. Let me put it out to the world because other people probably need to understand this. So this is why I create so much content. I just take my thoughts and I record them in such a way that other people can get it, whether written audio or video. And the goal, the reason why I create so much content when is because the content, it becomes the gateway for people getting into the stuff that's not free. So when it comes to like you asked, do I do coaching? I still do have some one-on-one coaching clients. I still have several one-on-one coaching clients, but now I have one coaching program as a group coaching program. So now anybody who comes to me, they can get into my group program. And what I found, uh, interestingly enough, I didn't think this would be the case. And you could tell me if you have any experience with this, is that the people who come into the group program actually like the group program better than they like one on one because they like the interaction and like listening to me coach other people on their stuff. Even if I'm not answering something specifically for person A, they like listening to me coach person B. So people actually like being in a group because they can hear other people's problems and hear me address those instead of it all just being about uh them personally. And the good thing for somebody like myself is that I can coach multiple people at the same time on one call instead of having to do 10 calls for 10 different people. So I do offer coaching, but mine is a group program now. I absolutely find that to be true in my world as well. First of all, people want me in small doses, you know, too much of me is way too much. So, and, I, <laughs> and I'm okay with it. that. So we we that. love win, but gosh, small doses. So, yeah. so less of me and more of other people and I, again, I'm a product of my mentors, uh, uh, of who I surround myself by. And so, 
you know, gosh, now I get to say, yeah, you know, Dre and I are tight. We're, we're super tight and you need to look to him for your next level of, of motivation and drive and information that's going to take you there. And, and do, do people maybe come to you and think, gosh, Dre, it must be exhausting to be you, to be this driven, to be up at four o'clock running around the streets of Miami and to, to, you're a brand new dad. It must be exhausting. And they're, and they're, not in a bad way, but they're wondering, okay, how do you turn this off? And I've, I've heard you talk about the value and the importance of meditation and having boundaries in your life. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So as far as, um, I don't know if anybody ever asked me if I feel exhausted. I'm, I'm not sure anybody asked, but people do ask, you know, how do you get so much done? Or they will ask the question without asking the question because people will say, well, how can I be more productive or how can I get more done? Or I want to you know, I want to, a lot of people will say to me, especially young men who know me from the basketball world, they'll say, I want to do something like what you're doing to where you kind of created this whole brand and this whole kind of ecosystem of all these things that you're doing. So they're not directly saying it, but I know that's what they really want to know, but they're not saying it in so many words. And as far as the meditation, yeah, every day I take time for meditation is getting my mind in the right space. And it's a conditioning thing. And this goes along with the discipline. This leads to the mental toughness and the initiative. And the conditioning part is that changing who you are fundamentally as a person is not something that just is, is not a snap of a finger thing. Sometimes it can be if it's a traumatic enough event, but generally it's a matter of uh, space repetition. You giving yourself certain ideas and certain thoughts and putting yourself into a certain frame of mind consistently enough that over time, uh, you change. You change as a person the same way, you know, the waves of the ocean beat against the rocks and it changes the landscape over time. So it's the exact same thing that we do with our minds. The challenge for many people is that they don't have the discipline to stick to anything long enough to see it through to where that change actually occurs. Everybody wants to change, but a lot of people don't want to do the work. And that's a, a good metaphor for a lot of things in life, period. So what is your belief system with meditation? You're putting yourself in a state where you're quieting your mind, you're you're shutting up, uh, so to speak. You're letting something else seep in. What is your foundation for that belief system of why meditation is valuable for you? So, well, meditation is valuable in that meditation is kind of like the same way if your phone is acting up, you do a reset of the phone, turn it off and turn it back on. Or the same way with your computer, you turn it off and turn it back on. If it's messing up, you might have had it on for 30 days straight. Didn't even realize you haven't turned it off. You turn it off, turn it back on, and it is running clean all over again. It's the same thing that we need to do with our brains. Now, we usually do that through sleeping, but meditation is a way of you doing it while being awake. And I do moving meditation when, so I'm not sitting in a, a lotus position with incense burning and my eyes closed. I would probably fall asleep. I'm meditating. <laughs> I'm wide awake. My eyes are open. And I'm usually often I'm looking at something. I'm looking at things that I have written down. So I have a list of things written down, like uh, what type of person do I need to be? I have my goals written down. I you know put images of things that I want to let's say that I aspire for or aspire to be. I put all of those things privately in folders that only I see. And I look at those things. That's my meditation time. So I'm not you no know, uh, just humming or anything like you see the monks doing or something like that. I don't do that. I'm wide awake. Uh, wide open. If you saw me, you wouldn't know I was meditating, but I am and nobody's bothering me, but that's what I do during that meditation time. Wow. I've, I've never heard it described that way. Good for you. Yeah. Because meditation is just a way of clearing and calming your mind. So there's no right way to do it. That's why it's called a meditation practice, not a meditation science.
<laughs> oh, that's great. You're, you're great with words. You speak well. You use the right terminology that people can relate to you. They, they can easily picture and envision what it is that you're trying to communicate. You're, you're very good at that. Oh, thank you. I have to be. Is that, is that natural? Do you, do you study that? Because like, you hear uh, of comedians who will practice one s- joke and they'll do it over from one club to the next to the next and they'll fine tune it. Do you work on that? I do. It's, it's a combination of both. Both natural ability that I, I do have some natural public speaking ability that I kind of grew into probably around eh, probably around college age that I grew into. But at the same time, when I have the proverbial 10,000 hours of I got 8,000 videos on YouTube, I got 2,300 episodes of my show, which are all 20, 30 minutes a piece. So you do the math on that. Yeah, 10,000 hours. Yeah, I probably got 20,000 hours. So because okay. I've done so much of it. And almost everything that I say out of my mouth, I've thought about in my mind three times before I speak it. So I got a lot of uh, exercise and practice in articulating myself. But I always make clear to people that your communication skill is probably the most valuable skill you can have. Doesn't matter what you do for a living, playing a sport. uh, You could be running a business. You could be trying to get a job. Your ability to communicate is super important because this is the way that you engage with other people is your communication. So you have to be good at this. And when you fail at communication, that's when things can go very wrong for you. When you communicate in a way that you didn't mean to communicate or you fail to communicate period. My gosh, I love that message as well. Like I, I think that everybody should become a motivational speaker and not because you're going to get paid to stand on a stage and share your, your ideas, but the, the value of communication I had this conversation with a, a team member this morning that one of our systems was breaking down a little bit. And I asked him about this. Why is this happening? And he gave me 10 reasons of why it's happening. And all of them were legitimate. And I asked him, so have you communicated this with everybody else? No, you're the only one I told. <laughs> you got to tell everybody else what's going on because what's happening by not communicating, people are going to make stuff up. And usually what they make up is doom and gloom. If you're not communicating, oh, that's why this is happening. If I fail to communicate, people think, oh, my gosh, the company's in trouble. My paycheck's going to bounce. I better go look for a new job. No, it had nothing to do with any of that stuff. Uh, it's just a little tiny bump in the road. And I failed to communicate that bump in the road. So I, I love that message to be a, a great speaker, to learn how to communicate. That's awesome. Right. And keep it in mind that listening is also part of communication. So it's not just what we put out, but also what we take in. See, that's why you need to start doing some podcasts where somebody else gets to speak. It's not just about you. <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing right now. You'd, oh, okay. <laughs> See, <laughs> you knew how to answer me. You just shut me down. I love that. I like that you brought up the whole 10,000 hours thing. And I've had the honor of interviewing some gold medalist Olympic athletes. And they talk about that 10,000 hours in the gym. And people say, gosh, if you want to be more successful – you need to double that. What? I'm already eight hours in the gym. You want me to be in the gym 16 hours? And and the response that he gave to me is, no, it's not 16 hours in the gym, but could you do a little bit more than what everybody else is doing? So if they're all showing up at the gym at eight o'clock, could you get there at 7.30? Well, 7.30, that extra 30 minutes a day up and above what everybody else is doing could be the factor or could be the, the thing that makes you a gold medalist. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's right. That's right. This has been so awesome, Dre. I'm so appreciative of this. And I, you, you say that I prepared well. I'm looking at my notes. I literally have 
three more pages of notes that I didn't even get to. <laughs> wow, well, we got to do another episode. So that that is how much content you put out and how interested I am in your message and and how you deliver your message. So thank you so much for that. Well, I really appreciate it. I, I take it as a compliment. You have so many notes from uh, whatever you've consumed. So hopefully it's good stuff that we didn't get to. More good stuff. Well, well the good news about my my new office is that you have to leave my house go to the side of the house, unlock the door to come into here. So you can't access my new office from inside the house, which has created a whole bunch of privacy for me. And I can sit down and really, really dive into this. So, and that's what I've had the pleasure of doing over the last couple of weeks, preparing for this interview with you. And, and it's been, it's been real, real enjoyable and enlightening for me. So thank you. Uh, Dre, do you have a, a final message for our, our listeners? Yeah. My final message for the listeners is that, now, whatever you do, you have a game. All right? The reason I call it work on your game is absolutely not limited to sports. So if you run a business, that's a game. If you have a, a family, that is a game. You're trying to get a job right now. It's a game. You're in school. You're trying to figure out what to do with your life. There's a game that you're in. So you need to, first of all, figure out what the game is, not your game, but the game, what the game is that you're in, because you got to know what business you're in. Then you work on your game to Make it work within the confines of whatever area you're involved in. And that's what work on your game means. It means understanding the game you're in, understanding your game, how it can fit into the bigger picture game. And then you go out there, you work on your game to get your opportunity. You get your opportunity, you perform, you perform, you produce results. And when you produce results, you get rewards. And when you do that, then you go right back and you do it all over again. So you keep getting the rewards over and over and over again. This is what a professional does. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, there was something that I we didn't even talk about. Uh, Dre all day. So now, now I know why why we call it Dre all day. Between all of your books and podcasts and and YouTube videos, and we could have Dre all day, right? Yeah, you could consume. I got enough content to fill you twenty four hours. That's right. <laughs> That's, this is awesome. Well, Dre, I'm again grateful. So grateful. Again, thanks to Patrice for introducing us. And uh, I can't wait to hear what more you put out there and anything that I can do for you, please reach out. But I'm just so honored to introduce you to a whole nother world of my audience that I've been working on for 22 years to build my platform to be able to bring people like you to this whole nother audience. So, so thank you so much for all of that. Well, I appreciate you sharing your platform with me and inviting me on. And uh, thanks to Patrice as well for recommending me to you. This is a great conversation. Thank you for the questions. Thanks, Dre. Thanks, man.